0: You're listening to On Development, a podcast of the Millennium Challenge Corporation, or MCC. MCC is an independent United States government international development agency whose mission is reducing poverty through economic growth. In this episode, MCC's Mahmoud Ba, Acting Chief Executive Officer, speaks with Tamika Tromaglio, Executive Director of the National Basketball Players Association about MCC's mission, clear values, and how to foster compassion and kindness in an agency that strives to have a diverse staff working to end poverty in a global world. Tamika Tramaglio is the Executive Director of the National Basketball Players Association. In this role, she works on behalf of NBA players to ensure their rights are protected and that they are fairly compensated for the tremendous value they bring to the court and as ambassadors of the game around the world. Prior to this role, Tamika was the Managing Principal for Deloitte's Greater Washington, D.C. office. Ms. Malio is very active in her community, but amongst her many civic affiliations, her work as board member of the Born This Way Foundation was a key position that bridged the power of kindness and being one's best self as necessary for success in the workplace. Ms. Tremalio holds a BA from Mount St. Mary's University, an MBA from the University of Baltimore, and a JD from the University of Maryland School of Law. Hello, Tamika.
1: It's nice to connect with you. Welcome to Undevelopment Podcast.
2: Hello, Mahmoud. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you. Well, let me introduce you to our listeners and discuss a little bit how we find ourselves doing a podcast on kindness and fostering inclusion in the workplace. I first met Tamika Tremalio 20 plus years ago when I was a junior auditor at a big five accounting firm. While I did not directly report to Tamika, she was a rising star and a role model for many of us in the Baltimore office. Tamika was part of a select group of managers that were cool in the sense that she brought a different energy and people wanted to join her engagement team. For me, it was the first professional job out of college. So seeing a woman of color in a position of leadership was validating my own career. I ended up leaving the firm, but several years later, our paths cross again, where I joined a firm, Tamika was leading as the managing director uh, of the Washington, D.C. office. It is there that I witnessed what we would discuss today, this notion of servant leadership, confidence, most importantly, this notion of kindness in the workplace. Question to you, Tamika, can you tell us about you, how you arrive at where you are today? And what are some of the toughest challenges you face along the way?
2: Well, thank you so much, Mahmoud, and thank you very much for your comments. As you know, it has always been a pleasure to be able to work with you in any capacity. So I appreciate you coming back to me to talk about a topic, obviously, near and dear to my heart. So just by way of quick background, as you know, I grew up in a really small town in Southern Maryland um, where, you know, quite frankly, you, you saw few people who were successful in any career outside of being a lawyer or a doctor. So those are my two choices, right? You were either going to be a lawyer or a doctor. I also had a family that was pretty adamant about the need or desire to be amazing, right? To be good wasn't enough. And I know you've heard me say this, but you know, I heard a gentleman one time talk about what amazing meant. And precisely, he said he compared it to an iPhone. And he said people would actually stand in line for hours for an iPhone because it was amazing. They were actually even willing to throw away another phone because it was simply just good. So while I thought very early on that I would be a lawyer because my father said I had a gifted gab and I loved negotiating any and everything, including my allowance at the age of five, I really wanted to do something that I was passionate about. So I found when I was very, very young, really loving numbers. I don't know if it was the card games that we were playing or if it was a cash register tape that I was pulling in our you know, our bars or tire stations. But I really loved the number side. And then I, as I grew older, I recognized people went to law school because they liked to read and write and they really didn't want to deal with the numbers. Very seldom did you see people who wanted to you know, do anything with numbers and also go to law school. And so I thought, wow, I'm going to law school, but that's good because one in four professionals in Washington, D.C. are lawyers and they're great. But how could I be amazing? And this is 25 years ago, right? So the JD MBA program was not very popular. And I decided that that's what I wanted to pursue. And just like anything, nothing is ever easy, right? The reality was at University of Maryland Law School, which is located in Baltimore, where you have University of Maryland College Park MBA program, which I know you attended, they're not close. Yeah. And so to be able to go from one class to another is not seamless. And so I remember going to the dean and saying, is it possible that I could actually do the, the MBA portion at University of Baltimore as part of the University of Maryland system? And he said, well, It's never been done, but why not? It was the first time of sort of just kind of taking a risk and and considering doing something different and unique. And so when you talk about challenges, I always saw even you know the littlest obstacle as something to overcome, right? My mother would say very soon, very early on, the risk of the fruit is always on the limb. And so it was important to sort of go out on a limb and try something unique and different. And so I really found that I loved the negotiating, the writing, the logical thinking that law school provided, but I loved the teaming and number crunching that part of B-School provided. And so I really, really had the best of both worlds, but now you graduate with a JD MBA and people have no idea what to do with you. And so I decided that I would join, as you mentioned, one of the big five at that time in their tax practice. Tax, as you know, is very black and white. And I live in a very gray world, right? Mm -hmm. And so while it was something that was using both of my skill sets, it wasn't something that I was excited or passionate about. Now, I say that lightly because our tax professionals, both in all of the firms that we've been in, are the brightest and best among many. But I found that I really liked looking behind the numbers and the forensic aspects, which is why I then rotated into a forensic practice within that big five firm. And then later went on to start a new firm in Washington that was from the demise of Arthur Anderson and then went public a couple of years later. And then had some of the largest restatements in the world, of which I know you know a lot about, particularly when I was having my second son. Um, So lots of lots of challenges and experiences, obviously sort of staying true to what was important to me, which was being a servant leader and living a life of significance to others when you're bringing other people along. There would have been no way that I could have escalated throughout my career unless I found a way to sort of marry both personal and business because the reality is there's always this border. Mm. People now are talking about the, the life-work balance, if you will. I've always had to figure out a way to balance it, right, because that's mm. the only way we can make it work, both men and women, particularly those with families. You have to find a way to make it work. And so, as you know, I left Huron Consulting Group in 2010 and I came to join Deloitte in 2010 in their global forensic practice, which was precisely doing the things I love, playing to my skill set on a global level, utilizing my forensic accounting skills, but also doing something different. Now, I came from being almost, you know, sort of the CEO of our advisor practice within Huron to now becoming a line partner. So I had to take a step back. And oftentimes people are really concerned about taking a step back so that you can take a step forward. But that's how things are done, because while, you know, Huron was a great firm and a public company, I was now joining a different platform. And so it was important for me to recognize that, you know, you have to do things so that you can advance in your career. At the same time, what that did do is bring out all those defense things, like where you are fearing that you don't belong. And you got to be very clear that I'm supposed to be here. I got this, et cetera. And so, you know, you're wearing your resume on your sleeve, et cetera. I think those are the things that come with those insecurities. And honestly, at Deloitte, they were really particular about saying bringing your authentic self to work, being much more transparent because quite frankly, you can't get things done if you don't allow people to know who you are. We talked about being authentic and someone said to me one day, do you does that mean you tell everybody your deepest, darkest secrets? And the reality is no. It, that is not what it means. But mm-hmm. what it does mean is that when you go into battle with someone, that they know who they're going into battle with. So that was why it was so critical for me. But I, I learned a lot about myself, as you can imagine, in the last you know, 10 years at Deloitte, but primarily because it was a place where you really could be your authentic self. And of course, I am now at the MBPA, where I hope to continue to bring that with me because I have found that to be the best way to live in service to others, but also a way to really make an impact within our community, in the lives of the players that I will now be engaged with. So it's incredibly exciting.
1: Thank you, Tamika. That is quite a story, and thank you for opening uh, up on that. Um, So, Tamika, MCC is a U.S. government development agency, and we focus on poverty alleviation. We are funded by U.S. taxpayers, and we give large grants to finance projects in low- and low-medium-income countries. So at its core, the notion of a country, a nation, giving a grant to another sovereign country for the purpose of reducing poverty, it's kindness in itself, right? Mm -hmm. So as we look at kindness in the workplace, it boils down to work culture, but specifically how organizations benefit from creating a diverse and inclusive workforce. One topic that you have always talked about is being one's best self, including at the workplace. And how creating a workforce that fosters diversity, inclusion, and being one's full self at work can accelerate success in delivering our important mission of ending poverty, in our case, and making the world a kinder and prosperous place. So my question to you, every year, I've seen you post through the Born This Way Foundation. You launch this Be Kind campaign. Last year, I remember it was Be Kind 21 to make kindness to ourselves and others a habit. Last year, the Be Kind 21 had a list. Can you please tell us, tell our listeners, what is this? What this is about?
2: Sure, absolutely. And you know, first of all, thank you for all of the work that Millennium Challenge Corporation does. It is absolutely critical to our society. And quite frankly, I think I have had the benefit and privilege of every role that I have been engaged in always has a component of corporate responsibility and things that we do to give back. The Be Kind 21 campaign is precisely that. It was really started by Lady Gaga and Born This Way Foundation. And it really was an opportunity to build this sort of environment that we wanted to see in the community. They they call it this braver, kinder world. And the reason that we kick it off in September is because we recognize that in schools, there was a significant amount of bullying that was being done. And it was critically important to make sure that kids were sort of starting off in a place where they felt like they could be kind to one another, where they could really help one another. The reason that we made it 21 days is because after 21 days, ideally something becomes a habit. Right. It transcends everything else because you've been doing it so much that you sort of wake up with the thought of how do you do that? How do you create this braver, kinder world? And so what I think Lady Gaga recognized very quickly is that these individuals that are in school, they grow up and they go somewhere. They go into these corporations like yours, like mine, like the Players Association. And then how are they now treating each other? So what we did actually at Deloitte is we became one of their corporate sponsors, and we created our 21 Days of Kindness. So as you have seen, Mahmood, Lady Gaga has her 21 days, I have my 21 days, we had 21 days at Deloitte, other people posted their 21 days, and it was a great time to really reflect on how we can do things differently in the world. It was an intentional effort. I know you've heard me talk a lot about leading with intention, And that was the intention is giving us an opportunity to share kindness. It is very different. However, I need to make the distinction, though, between nice and being kind. Right. When we are nice, we do things with an expectation of something in return. Right. When we are kind, there is absolutely no expectation of anything in return. In fact, people don't know you did it. People may never know the cause of it or why something happened. And so it's so important that we make that distinction. There are lots of people in the world that do nice things. We are focused on being kind. That fosters an environment of diversity, of equity and inclusion.
1: So, Tamika, that is so interesting you say that. And... You know, you know, I'm Fulani. I grew up in West Africa. And there's this concept uh, in Fulani tradition. And it's a spiritual concept of, you know, the benefits you get from being kind. So they call it Barka. And then there is a uh, almost a malediction that you get from not being kind. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so I think. I want to link what you just said about being nice and kind, the difference, to one thing that you said on MLK, Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King there, you posted a tribute to Dr. King and you quoted, you say, in your mind, this is one of his best quotes and he said, his best quotes, and he says, life's most urgent question is, what are you doing for others? So I think in in a sense, I'm I'm trying to get your feedback on this because it goes back to this concept of being nice and kind and expecting something in return. Do you wanna can you tell us why this is in your mind, Dr. King's most important code? You
2: know, because I think oftentimes people are very focused on their legacy, sort of what are they leaving behind? Right. And certainly Dr. Martin Luther King didn't know that you know we would have a day celebrating his honor, that you know, here we would be still talking about him, you know, decades later, right? Because the reality is what he focused on is what he would do to help America, what he could do to help society, what he was doing for others. And I think for us to live a life of significance we have to think about what we're doing to serve other people. It can't be about you, right? It means that we have to suspend all personal interests, right? That's how you develop this level of intimacy. And I know it sounds like a pretty provocative word, but the reality is, is it just means it's not about you. It's about understanding how you can help someone else, how you can live a life of significance, how you can live in service to others. And I think that's one of the things that Dr. Martin Luther King taught us. And I really thought it was important that on that day,
1: people thought about how they were serving other people. Thank you, Tamika. So here at MCC, I, I get really excited when you talk about these topics because people don't intuitively link kindness to work and how you behave at work. Um, in December, we have, we have this platform that we call Under the Baobab Tree here at MCC. And it's a platform that we created to, uh, this this followed the events uh, of George Floyd and we we created this platform so f- people can come and talk about issues that they would not normally talk about, right, they, they, this is a safe zone, uh, they, it's voluntary, you come and you just express how you feel, how things affect you, your perspective. Uh, in this session, we'll talk about everything from race, culture, uh, we've talked about kindness in our last one in December. I enjoyed this session and continue to find them very useful. Now, going back to leadership, you talk about being a first leadership. How do you create in an organization these safe zones where people don't bring it's not it's not emotional. It is it is about understanding others' perspective, where they're coming from.
2: Yeah, so, you know, it is a very good question. And I think the one thing that I learned over the last five years of sort of touting this business of kindness is that people don't typically equate kindness with the corporate space, right, or with business. They equate kindness with, you know, church and social activities and community involvement. And so to put the two together, you know, just on its face, is very complicated. And so I will tell you, in full disclosure, that the reason that I really focused on this is because I was really focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I thought I, as a leader, need to learn to meet people where they are. Everyone does not embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? In fact, I will tell you, people have grown quite tired of having the discussion on it. Whether we like it or not, that's the harsh reality. Whereas no one, or at least we thought, no one was going to ever argue with you about simply being kind. So if you could start with something as basic as kindness and get them to sort of come along to follow you, because leadership is about creating followership, right? If you have no one that's following you, then you're not leading anything. So for me, it was important to sort of meet them where they are, because it's going to be difficult for anyone to say kindness just doesn't make sense. Why are we doing that? Why are we focusing our time on it? And then bringing them along, and so I, I know that um, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce here in Washington, one of the things that they did is they said, "Wow, I can't believe we have one of the big four really touting kindness, um, particularly in the workforce. Like, what are they doing? They're you know they're focused on the intellectual capacity of their people. Well, we know that people cannot." be their best selves if they come to work mentally challenged or having a bad day or someone not being nice to them or feeling bullied in the office. And so I wanted to make sure that, first of all, within our organization, that we were being kind to one another because, of course, you have to lead by example, but also that when we are going out to our clients or interacting or engaging with other people, that they are also looking at us as being kind. As you know, kindness changes the trajectory of everyone's performance, because people tend to do business with people that they like. So let's start there. People also tend to do better in a work environment in which they feel safe, where there is a level of intimacy, where they feel like they can bring their authentic self in a workplace that is kind, which leads to less turnover which leads to more innovation and interaction amongst individuals, all of that is critical to the success of any organization. So people are not going to argue with you about it. What it also means is that you value other people's opinions. So when you think about when we talk about organizations or boards, for example, that are more diverse, as you know, there are many boards that didn't have women on boards. There are many boards that didn't have people of color on boards. The moment that they started to open up and allow different cultures to be kind that allowed them to excel. So all of those organizations who increased their diversity numbers, they also found that their revenue went up higher, that that was much more significant. And so it's a lesson for all of us. Now, clearly my intention on doing this wasn't so that we could make more money. My intention on doing this is so I could take advantage fully of the intellectual capacity of our people and that people were coming to work in a place where they were happy and they felt like they belonged and quite frankly, where they felt Safe. And that was critically
1: important to me so Tamika this is great and I, I I like the idea of linking results to kindness so there's a there's a say that the world is a kind of place when you are kind right so many world or societal issues that we face today from pollution to deforestation to climate change to racial and gender discrimination and many more fundamentally is rooted in unkind behaviors, right? Whether it's to our planet or our people. So if kindness, or lack thereof, is identified as a problem within the corporate setting or in the public sector, we should seek to understand the problem and design solutions to address that specific problem. Because that's what we do with any of our issues. So this requires understanding processes, systems, bringing experts together to systematically address the problem. So you spend your entire career studying clients, systems, processes, and in many cases, you are asked to provide an independent report, right? Because the court put a lot of weight of what you say. So my question to you is, the new challenge, you, let me just quote something you said uh, before. You said, the new challenge in my mind is how to transform this awareness of kindness into actions that are last, that have lasting impact. The answer is you do things to make kindness a habit and creating a habit requires a concerted effort aimed at repetition. So in that vein, Tamika, can kindness be systematically introduced in the workplace? If yes, can it be measured as a factor of productivity?
2: Oh, I love that. And you know, it is so funny. I you being a you know a CPA and background in business, there's always the desire to measure things, right? And you know I love that because I'm constantly measuring things. But the reality is um, while it is important that we measure it and we know that it has been, so there's a Gallup poll on it, Fords has it, Howard study, Harvard studies, excuse me, showing that you know kinder workplaces just do better, we know that. But the reality is thats not that wasn't the impetus behind it, right? But I do think it is absolutely possible. At least I hope it's absolutely possible. I mean, people, even to this day, there wasn't a, you know, in the last year or so in which I was at Deloitte, there wasn't a moment that someone didn't say when they either introduced me or they ran into me that I thought about you today because I did something kind or, I thought about what you would say. I mean, you know, on my phone, I must get a text message with pictures of kindness, whether it's a T-shirt, a billboard or something, because people just sort of equate it, right? It becomes part of your brand um, because it is so critically important. And it does increase productivity. It makes people want to work with you. It makes people want to be around you. It's contagious, quite frankly not only in the workplace, but even at home. So it's an exercise that I do with my kids at home. I ask them, what have they done to be kind? They tell their story. It does become sort of part of who we are. It also allows us to be more authentic because we're not so vulnerable or scared to mention things. We're not afraid to fail because we then know that others have failed and it's an environment in which it's safe to do that. And I know you've heard me say to you about the leaders meet last with Simon Sinek. And he says it comes down to sort of basic fundamental of feeling safe. We feel safe when people are kind and warm. We feel safe when we're in an environment in which people are asking me you for your ideas and how to do things differently. That makes us feel safe. And as a woman of color, where you feel incredibly vulnerable most days, it is great to feel like that is the one thing that you can sort of rest your hat
1: on that you can appreciate that being kind can really change the world. It can make a huge difference. So so Tamika, I've worked with you. I've seen you at at, you know, in the business, in the boardroom, sometimes you are the only woman in the boardroom and you are a woman of color. And my, my question to you is that as we look at kindness in the angle that you just described, it's the flip side, right? Because you know there is also a saying that clear is kind. So the ability to be clear when things are not going the right way, right? and I think you you made the difference between being nice and being kind i, I wanted to dive a little deeper on this culture in some corporate settings you will you will see this culture where kindness is almost frowned upon is that this is the the major leagues, everybody's tough, and you know there is this sense that if you're tough, you are more keen to produce results and you you i mean I've, I've seen this it's a culture you can't you can't put your hands around it and but everybody behaved that way in some some corporate setting where there are better results when you don't mix that you know aspect of being nice kind with work that needs to be done right but but there is a way to do this. What you're saying, Tamika. What I'm hearing you say, there is a way to be kind and be tough, and be good and, and create an environment where you give feedback when things are not right and you correct mistakes uh, while you are kind about it. So, can you is is that a is that a fair statement that uh, uh, when you are kind? you are probably open for people abusing your kindness.
2: Yeah. So um, all really good questions and points. And so let me unpack that just a little bit. So you remember the old saying that nice guys finish last, right? Remember the word they used was nice because there is an expectation of something in return, right? Yeah. Kindness doesn't expect anything in return. So it was not about them. Let's start there. Secondly, I remember being at a board meeting and someone saying, Tamika, yes, I hear you on this whole kindness thing, but let's be realistic. The Pollyanna things that you're mentioning, that's not not how we get things done. And I said, actually, it is precisely how we get things done. It also was a board that we ended up writing a civility statement on because quite frankly, the board was so destructive in looking for ways to show that other people were wrong, so focused on being right as opposed to good that it became critical to do that because it took away our productivity because we spent so much time on things that were not kind and not getting us to the end result. You also have to appreciate that kindness means being honest with people. There are some times that things just don't work out. If I decided today I was going to go out and be an artist, and I started drawing, drawing a picture and saying it's going to be the next Mona Lisa, and you told me, oh, Tamika, you're so right. You are absolutely going to be the next artist. This is just a beautiful painting. And it was completely wrong. That's not kind. That's not being honest with someone. What's kind is saying, you know what? you might want to pursue a different career that plays to another strength of yours, right? There are ways to do things which, which that leave people with their dignity and respect. You don't have to destroy someone and say, oh my God, if this is how you're going to feed your family, this is never going to work out for you. Instead, you could say, you know what, I recognize that that's something that you really enjoy. Maybe that's something that you could do as a hobby, something that you could spend your free time doing. But this is something in which you could play to your strengths. As you know, Mamoon, in this world that we live in, there have been many relationships that I've had to sever or terminate. But you can do that in a way that leaves people with their respect and dignity. It is never important or critical to leave people in a space in which they feel less than. There is always an opportunity to be kind to one another. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't days that I am, you know, outside of myself and that I'm not, you know, kind, if you will. In fact, you will find that's funny. My boys, whenever I'm correcting them on something, they say, Mom, you're not being kind. It's a smart little, you know, and I'm like, I'm being very kind. I'm telling you, you need to clean up your room because this is not acceptable. But there are ways to do things that you can do it where people get the point. But you can be kind. I don't want anyone to ever get it twisted that you're a pushover. In fact, I would encourage them not to do that because I think they would be sadly mistaken. But I think that there is a way, again, that you can get things accomplished in a way that leaves people with dignity and respect.
1: Thank you, Tamika. Let's take a break and let our listeners know about MCC's value and how they guide the agency's staff. When we return, let's explore how the issue we've discussed impacts us on an individual level
0: to learn more about mcc's clear values and how the agency is working to reduce poverty through economic growth please visit www.mcc.gov forward slash about forward slash values
1: all right thank you tamika we're back um we've talked about the work culture connection to Kindness. let's talk a bit more about this issue on an individual level.
2: Yeah, and Mahmoud, if you don't mind, I'd love to turn the tables here just a little bit because I I recognize that you are in a very unique situation. You're one of a few Black men serving as a CEO in the federal government and leading a government agency for the Biden administration. You also have had some really unique experiences and certainly have your own perspective given your role. And I'm sure you've encountered similar experiences as as I have being the only woman and a woman of color in the senior most ranks of an organization. And I'm curious if you can share with us a few unique experiences you faced and some lessons that your listeners can take and learn from.
1: Thank you, Tamika, for putting me on the spot. Um, So, so, Tamika, it's a very good question. I think that you, you know, when the president designated me to take on uh, as the acting CEO of the Millennium Challenge Corporation, I wasn't expecting this to last as long as it lasts. Uh, you know, the CEO of MCC has Senate confirmed, so we have a nominee who is um, right now in the process of confirmation, which uh, we are very hopeful will come to fruition very soon. But with that, I think, you know, one, one element that you cannot avoid is this notion of imposter syndrome. Um, I, you know, when you describe your background, Tamika, and and all the challenges that you face, you describe it from a really true or, or, or truly, you know, African-American experience, right, including uh, uh, your background growing up in St. Mary's County. I come to this from an African perspective as a naturalized U.S. citizen. So our perspectives are different, but that's what makes it even more beautiful, right? Because that we we, tend, we have the same objective though we have different backgrounds. So we look at things in a very different way. I think the other factor that was also very important for me and was a challenge is that I was selected not to from a vice president position to be acting, I was selected in a much lower position to be the act to lead this agency. So you have all these imposter syndrome challenges that you carry with you. Um, And as a Black man, you do have uh, uh, that that challenge that you you are always afraid of failing. It is constantly in your head. So you overprepare. The the small meeting that you have, you tend to overprepare for it. You stay up at night. Cause you are afraid, it haunts you, that you you're gonna you're gonna fail. But the flip side of that is that that over preparation actually makes you really, you know, know about the topics you're talking about. It makes you anticipate questions you're gonna get. It makes you anticipate challenges you're gonna be faced with. So I think that for me, it's been. A great experience, but I'm also grateful to you, Tamika, because I remember when I was uh, uh, designated to do this job, I called you, and in Tamika fashion, you were like, "Well, we should have tea." <laughs> and I came over to your house, and you pulled out the the notepad, and we walked through. Okay, you know, let's let's talk about this, Mahmoud. So I think you know the notion of kindness that we've been discussing, Tamika. This is one example to throw this back at you. It's just the idea of doing something because it's the right thing to do and not expect anything in return. I think that has helped me a lot in this position. And knowing that my number one mission is a stewardship mission to make sure these agencies prepare for the next administration, is prepared for the next CEO. So I, I think it's been a, a very wild ride and quite enjoyable. I loved Uh, I love the work that we're doing here at MCC. I love the mission of poverty alleviation. And I'm looking forward to the next few years here and what we can do as we enter our 20th birthday here at MCC, which we call MCC at 20 in about a couple of years.
2: No, that is excellent. And I I do, it's just, you know, sort of part of the course, right, that you would flip the question. But I, I will also say, obviously, I was honored. But one of the reasons why I did say, come on over, let's sit down, let's talk about it, is because I knew exactly what you were going through, right? As, as I shared with you then, and, and we'll repeat again now, I had the privilege of having someone do something almost the same way with me, and that was Joyce Roche, who brought me in and said, you deserve a seat at the table. You do belong. You are smart enough. You're good enough. All of the things that I really needed to hear, She also said to me that, you know, the things that have gotten us here, quite frankly, of this imposter syndrome will continue to excel for us. But from a mental health perspective, it's really important for us to recognize it. And to know that we are in the right place at the right time to get things accomplished. But we also have to know that we have to do this in service to others because, quite frankly, if you get caught up on what's the next position, what else could I do, which you really could have done very easily, right? Like, what's in it for me? What am I going to do? What's the next role? We tend to screw up what we're supposed to be doing and what we should be focused on. So recognizing that the feeling of being an imposter is really human. And quite frankly, most successful people suffer from it because it's any area in which we feel inadequate. And even the most successful people in the world have an area that they feel inadequate in. And so it will rear its head. It's about recognizing it and finding a way to respond to it. So kindness starts with us, right? Being yeah. sort of kind to yourself to say, you know what? I I understand that this is a place that I feel insecure with. Giving yourself a little bit of grace and then moving past it, but allowing it to excel, to help us to excel and propel us forward. That's what's critically important. And I think that you rose to the occasion. You've done an amazing job. You focused on serving the people in the other countries, you focus on serving in your career, you focus on serving the professionals that work for you each and every day. So mission accomplished, job really well done. And you've done it in a way that's really kind and respectful to other people. That'll be part of your legacy.
1: Thank you so much, Tamika, for these kind words. And I would love to continue this discussion on kindness, but we are unfortunately coming to a close. Um, in in parting, Tamika, what would you advise agencies or corporations that are in the public sector, as the president is focused on diversity, inclusion, and accessibility? Actually, what would you what would you advise MCC for the next twenty years?
2: You know, I really think for kindness to really permeate as part of an organizational culture, it really has to start from within. It has to be authentic and has to be transparent. It has to be core to who you are and it has to come from the top. It is from the leadership and then it flows down. When it's true and authentic, it's infectious. And so practicing kindness daily, even when times are tough, it catches on just like wildfire. It won't be overnight, but over time, you'll see that people will change. You'll see the spark that individuals have. You'll see people bringing their true and authentic self to work. Your environment and the culture as a whole will begin to evolve. It will begin to change. I think as I hear from other people and they talk about the impact of kindness in every single situation. And I heard from a managing partner who was retiring in Omaha, Nebraska and he said he heard me talk about kindness and the impact that we could have on other people. And he said so from that day forward he tried to be kind to everyone he met. He realized that the person who was parking his car in the garage, he didn't know their name. The dry cleaning lady that he'd gone to for 35 years didn't know their name or anything about them. So he took the time to do that. And he said that what he learned from all of this is that he actually got much more than he could have ever given. So it is a part of who we are and it helps to fill us up. So while you are giving it, please know that what you receive is twofold. And so any organization that has that at its foundation, kindness at its foundation, will always continue to be successful. And so I would encourage you as a leader who sets the tone at the top to make this where you begin and end each day.
1: Thank you so much. I will walk away. I love this. Kindness is infectious. So I will take that away. And uh, I just want to take this moment, Tamika, to thank you for your time and for these really deep uh, words that you spoke today. And um, as we also prepare to celebrate Black History Month, this is quite fitting for us to be talking about kindness.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Mahmoud. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thank you for listening to On Development. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you prefer. And to learn more about MCC, please visit www.mcc.gov.